All right. Fun to sing that Graves in the Garden song makes me uh, excited about Easter coming up. Yeah. Fired up. Yep. Love it. I love it. So, well, hey, I uh, hope you have your Bible. Um, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. And uh, if you haven't already, you can download message notes. If you'd like to follow along, you can do that at the church website, fbclodi.org. Uh, but hey, as we get going, there, you know, there's a few events in life that can change the direction of a person's life, right? Whether it's the day that you uh, first graduated or the day you moved to that new place or the day you started that new job. It's something that kind of changes the direction of your life. Uh, for a lot of us, it is the day that you got married. And so for me, my life changed dramatically, and I should say dramatically for the good, <laughs> on September 28, uh, 1991, when I vowed to Jenny uh, that till death do us part, um, that was a dramatic uh, change. And like I said, uh, for the good. And who could believe that that's 30 years um, ago now, and that changed my life, and I think it's uh, changed yours um, as well. If you had children, um, or you have children, you know that's definitely something that can uh, change your life from the time um, that you have kids. They're so cute, and they're little, and almost immediately, um, you find that um, your time, and your energy, and your money just seems to be like slowly sucked away right out of you. Um, it changes your life. Um, there's national, there's global events. In the last uh, 100 plus years, we've had two world wars. That changes things dramatically, the way we look at the world. Um, in the United States, we had a baby boom, and then we had the civil rights movement, and we had Watergate. Uh, just about 20 years ago, now we had 9-11, and that was a day that dramatically changed the way that we look at the world. I mean, who knew that you had to take your shoes off before you could go on an airplane um, before that, and obviously a lot more. And I think a lot of us these days are starting to wonder um, the, over this last year through COVID-19, what is things going to look like? What are things going to look like as we hopefully more and more are moving to, towards that post-COVID era? But I bring all this up today because we come this morning or we come today to this new section in our study in the book of Romans where Paul begins to talk about life after a person puts their faith in Christ, and how that becomes a turning point that is meant to change a person's life, and quite honestly, meant to dramatically change a person's life. So if you've been with us over this last uh, month or so, hopefully you recall now that Romans, uh, in large part, is the Apostle Paul making this big argument, this big case, even almost a legal case, for the good news and the power of the gospel, is, is what he talks about. And so he starts in the first three chapters uh, by talking over and over again, about the idea of sin and that all people sin and are separated from God and fall short of the glory of God. He talked about this, or we talked about this, as a universal problem. It's something that affects all of us. But by the time he gets to the end of chapter 3, he's presenting a universal solution to this universal problem, which is a salvation that is offered through faith to everybody who believes in Christ. And through that, our sins are forgiven. We're justified, which we've said is to be made right with God. Um, once we were at odds with God uh, and deserving of his wrath because of our sin, um, through faith, we are actually brought close to God and we are made right and we are at peace with him. And this is a big enough deal that Paul, and quite honestly, all of the Bible writers, present this as a turning point in a person's life. 
right? That's meant to be one of those life-altering, history-altering things from that point forward. And from chapter 5 forward, Paul starts to write about sanctification. Sanctification is, of course, a kind of a big Bible churchy way of saying what happens to us after we've accepted Christ. That, that is not the, the end of things, but that's really the beginning of things. And God begins to mold and shape us. And ultimately, sanctification means how God is going to make us into the image of his son. It's that work that he does after salvation. So, hey, Ian, if you wouldn't mind bringing up that little board here, I want to draw it because um, maybe this will help us to, to just see it. This is an illustration that probably people have seen before, but oh, if you bring that... <laughs> Crack technical crew here. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. So the idea is, as we talk about kind of what Paul has been describing and, and salvation and those things, the idea, and maybe you've seen this before, it was helpful to me, is you've got us, which is people here. I'm a terrible artist. I'm taking a risk doing this. But that is a person. He's smiling. He's got an eye. And then over here is God. And you can't draw God, but we'll just draw a cloud here for God. And if you look at this illustration, the idea behind it is, look, God's over here, we're over here, and we are separated from God. And that's exactly what Paul describes in Romans 1 through 3, and that is because of sin that has left us separated from God. Now, we can try all kinds of things because we desire to be close to God, so we can try all kinds of things to to get close to God. And so we can you know, try to be religious, and we can try to go to church, and we can try to do good deeds and all these things. But ultimately, the argument the Bible makes is all of those things leave us falling short of God, which is where Jesus Christ comes in. And the way this illustration works is that through the cross, and only through the cross, is that gap bridged. Right By his wounds, by Jesus' death on the cross, we are healed. And so now we can be in relationship with God, and we are at peace with God. And this right here is Romans 1 through 4. But that is not the end of the deal. This is hugely important, but this isn't the end. This is actually the beginning. And so from here on out, Paul starts to write about everything that comes after that. And Romans 5 and following is all about this life once this has taken place. So you can see why it's kind of this turning point. It's kind of this big change that the apostle is describing. And Paul considers this a turning point because Paul has a a kind of an expectation. And the expectation is, is that this concept here, this idea is not going to stay as just an idea in people's heads, but it's an idea that is going to move from our heads down to our hearts. And so until now in our study of Romans, we've spent a lot of time on theory. We've spent a lot of time on on theology, good stuff, important stuff, really, you know, great stuff to be sure. But now begins uh, the shift where the question is not so much, do I understand this or even do I believe it with my head? But now it's more about what difference does it make for me? Pastor Tim Keller, who's a, a pastor in in the Manhattan, uh, tells a story of a, a teenage girl that was in his church. And uh, this teenage girl was going through kind of a hard time, uh, struggling, facing some depression, all those things. And the parents brought the girl down to 
um, to see Pastor Tim in his, his office and, you know, could, could you talk to our daughter? He says, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Doesn't always work, but he said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So he sits down and he begins to talk to this, uh, this teenage girl and he asks her, you know, what's going on? And eventually she starts to share. And she says, well, you know, all of the girls in my school are, are mean to me. And there's a boy that I really like. And this boy that I really like, it's like he doesn't even know I exist. He's like, won't pay any attention to me, doesn't even notice me, anything like that. And all the teachers in my school, they're super hard and they're not very kind to me. And so she tells this. And, and Tim Keller is thinking to himself, he's like, you know, just this last Sunday at church, I preached a message about the gospel. I preached a message about all of this, that you could be justified and made right with God. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe we can connect this for her. And so he says to the, to the girl, he says, hey, we're, you know, did you happen to be in church on Sunday? She says, yes, I was. He says, well, hey, I know, you, you know you've got a lot of things going on right now. It's not easy to pay attention, but were you able to pay attention to the message? And she says, well, yes, I was. I did. And she went on and she explained the whole thing back to him. That we were separated from God because of our sin and that Jesus died on the cross and so that we could be made right with God and we could be at peace with God. And Tim Keller's like, yes, I can't believe it. She totally gets it. And so he says to her, he says, well, doesn't that you know, make you happy? Doesn't that you know, bring you joy? Doesn't that bring you some peace? And she just looked blankly back at him. And he, she said but the girls are still mean to me and the boy doesn't pay any attention to me and the teachers are still not very kind to me. You see, she never had considered how this good news message moves from her head to her heart or actually means anything in her everyday life. And so Romans 5 says the gospel message, all of this stuff we've been talking about is meant to be a turning point. It's meant to be a transition in our life. It's not necessarily something that takes all the hard stuff away, right? It doesn't mean the girl stopped being mean and the boy suddenly notices you. In fact, a lot of times it's just the opposite. But what it means, the gospel gives us a whole new perspective, this whole new perspective on who we are and this whole new perspective on how we can face whatever we go through in life. So let's uh, look at Romans 5. We're really going to focus on kind of the first five verses. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the NIV, which goes like this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings or rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us or who has been given to us. And by the way, that's the first time that we see the Holy Spirit mentioned in the book of Romans, but we're going to see him more and more um, in these weeks to come. So there's obviously just a ton of stuff in there, still a lot of, of kind of deep theology. Let's kind of pull it apart bit by bit, starting with this concept that as you see, it begins in verse one, that since you've been justified through faith. So in other words, because this has happened, because you've been made right with God, that's the turning point. And because you've experienced the turning point, these are some new things. And number one is we have a new identity. We are now considered children of God. And we have this new identity that is based on this idea that we're at peace with God 
and this idea that we have access to the grace of God. So first of all, we have identity because it's based on peace with God. Now, I want to say something real clear here. Peace with God is different than the peace of God. The peace of God is a Bible thing, and it's something that's actually promised to Christians. It even says there's a peace of God that passes all understanding. Um, But the peace of God tends to be more subjective. It's more related to feelings, and it's something that can come and go. It's something that is available to us at all times, but honestly, we don't always take advantage of it. And so the peace of God feels like it it comes and goes because it's more about kind of feelings. It's subjective. Um, And I point this out because I think a lot of times people think that religion or my relationship with God is kind of like therapy, right? That that my relationship with God is supposed to, you know, help me deal with my problems in life. Um, It's supposed to make me happy. It's supposed to, you know, bring me peace and make me feel good. And a relationship with Christ does all of those things, certainly. But if it's only about, because of this, I have this kind of peace in my my heart, it'd be very easy for someone to come, and maybe you've had someone say this to you before, well, hey, that's great that you know your Christianity brings you peace. That, that's great. I would never stand in the way of that. But I have other stuff that brings me peace, right? I have yoga that brings me peace, or I have, you know, whatever. I take long walks in the woods, or I drink <laughs> bourbon, or I smoke a joint, or, you know, all kinds of things, good and bad, that people can say, you know, hey, this is what is bringing me peace. Um, and, and so what Paul is talking about here is something that is very different. Because when he talks about peace with God, he is not sub- talking about something that comes and goes. Peace with God is a reality, and it's based on a historical event, event of Jesus' death and resurrection. Peace with God doesn't come and go. So a lot of times you'll hear people say, or maybe you've said it, I've said it at times, you know, I just don't feel that peace, or I don't feel close to God, or I don't feel, you know, connected to God. And a lot of times what we're saying is I don't have those, those feelings. And it's not like those feelings are, are unimportant. We want to have those feelings. But I also would say to someone, don't base your relationship with God on these feelings that are transient, right? That, that are, you know, based on circumstances. How did, how did my day go? Changes my feelings. Did I get a good night's sleep? Changes my feelings. Did I eat a bad burrito or whatever? <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that, that, that can change our feelings. What I want to say is, what does the word of God say? And the word of God says you have peace with God and that doesn't come or go. doesn't matter how you feel about it. Because it's not based on what we've done. It is based on this idea that we have a new identity. We are children of God and we have peace with God and it doesn't come and go. Second thing that it says there in in verse 2, I believe, it says that we have access to God's grace. We have access to God's grace. I was thinking about access and I was thinking a little bit about... uh, uh, my cell phone. We were reminded to turn our cell phones off here before, but you know, most of us are you know get calls and messages and stuff through the day, and and so it's great because you can look and see you know who who it is, and and you always want to try to get it if you can. <laughs> Not that I would avoid anyone's calls, but <laughs> but here's what I, the point I'm trying to make. If I look at this and I see that it's my kids calling, if it's one of my three kids calling or they're texting through, I do whatever I can to answer that that message. This doesn't mean I can always, always get to it, but if there's any way possible, I am going to take that call because I want to hear from them. 
because I want to know what's going on. I want to hear what, what's happening. I wouldn't say, that to, say it to them like this, but I want them to know that they are my child and they have access to their father. If they call, I am going to take that call. And if there is trouble, I am going to be there. And if there is a need and there is something that I can do, I am going to do it. And that's kind of this idea that Paul is talking about. Actually, the picture that is used in Romans 5 when it talks about access to God is actually having an audience with the king at his throne. So in other words, not only do I have access to someone who's going to take my calls, but I've got access to someone who's got power. And that's what takes place when we are justified, right? That's what takes place when this relationship happens. The book of Hebrews says it like this. It says we can have confidence to boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Christ has done for us. I like the way the New Living Translation translates this little section. It says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And I love that, undeserved privilege. So when it comes to our our new identity, God gives it to us freely. As it says, it's an undeserved privilege. Now this, no matter how many times we've heard heard this, is going to feel surprising to us because we're just not used to getting something that we have not earned. We're just not used to getting something given to us with no strings attached. In fact, God says he justifies us freely through Christ. And yet think of how much we try to justify ourselves. Think of how many times, even though Jesus, God says, you know, you are, this is your identity as my child, how many times do we try to prove our identity? How many times do we try to prove our worth? And whether we're trying to justify ourselves to God or whether we're trying to justify ourselves to other people, right, so they think we're great, or a lot of times we're trying to justify ourselves to ourselves, so I was thinking of an example of this, and, and it's a, kind of an old one, and it's, a, um, uh, it's uh, fictional, and so it doesn't always hit quite as close to home. But if you remember the old movie Rocky, which I know, understand is like super old, so some people actually don't remember the movie Rocky, uh, but Rocky is this fighter, and he gets the chance to fight the champ. He gets the chance to fight Apollo Creed. And Rocky's whole motivation going into this fight as he works out and all does gets ready for it is he says, my goal is I don't want to get knocked out right at, at first. He says, all I want to do is I want to go the distance. You see, nobody had, and all the people that Apollo Creed had ever fought, nobody had even gone the distance in a fight with him. And so this is what Rocky says. He's, Yo, Adrian. <laughs> Actually, I don't think he says it there, but... He says, if I can go the distance, then I will prove that I belong. And then get this. He says, and I will prove that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. I'll prove that I'm somebody. And if you think about that, think of what he's saying. He's saying, I'm willing to go get my head beat in to prove that I belong, to prove that I'm something. And some of you may be thinking, okay, well, that's, that's just a movie. And you're right, it is. But if it's just a movie... Why do we say things like, you got to prove yourself, you got to earn your keep, you got to show your worth? If it's just a movie, why do we feel empty inside and feel like I didn't live up to things if I don't produce enough or I, I didn't measure up or I didn't fit in? You know, if that's just a movie, why do we say things like, just one more and that'll be enough, right? One more deal, 
one more accomplishment, one more account closed, one more good grade, one more like, one more friend, one more purchase, and then I'll feel secure and I'll feel worthy. In fact, think of all the different ways that we try to justify ourselves. I I read someone that said there's as many ways that people try to justify themselves as there are people in the room. And so let me just give you a few examples of these from this list that I I saw this week, Um, different ways that we try to kind of earn our approval or justify ourselves to God, to ourselves, to others. Um, One is by knowing. There's some of us that think, you know, my identity is in my intellect. If I can have the right answer, if I can, you know, know more than that person, if I can be the smartest person in the room or whatever it is, then I'm going to feel secure and I'm going to feel my identity because of knowing. For others, it's not so much knowing, but it's, it's producing, right? I want to see tangible evidence of, of my work. And, you know, if I, if I don't produce, it's kind of harder to sleep, you know, well at, at night or to be happy. The kind of the, the cousin of producing is, is earning, right? I'm going to find my worth in what I earn. And we all like to, to earn a, a paycheck, but if getting that paycheck and the size of that paycheck and compiling more and more stuff is the key to making me feel safe, to making me feel secure, then there might be a problem. Maybe it's winning. I justify myself that, that I can be the best at whatever it is, right? So I'm going to win in sports, you know, whatever competition, I'm going to win in that, I'm going to win at work, I'm going to win an argument, I'm going to win at all costs. Or it's impressing people. You know, I, I want people to look at me and, and think highly, and so it's about keeping up appearances, and we want so badly for people to be impressed. There's even good things that we could do. Maybe it's, it's helping people. Of course, helping people is a good thing. But if we cannot feel secure or at peace until we've helped someone, maybe it's not even so much about helping that person, but it's about something that's going on in our heart. And I go over that whole list because I want us to feel how contrary that kind of stuff that we all deal with, I want us to feel how contrary that is to what Paul writes in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. All of those things describe a new identity that I didn't earn and isn't based on my efforts or my worth, but it's based on what Christ has done, right? And so you see how when that, we recognize that, that becomes kind of a turning point for us. Well, that's the, the first one. We have a new identity. Second thing that Paul gets to uh, quite a bit quicker is uh, since we've been justified through faith, since we have this peace with God, not only do we have a new identity, but we have a new destiny, a new destiny. Look at the second half of verse 2. The second half of verse 2 in the NIV says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So what's the hope of the glory of God? Here Paul is referring to our eternal destiny that we have in heaven and the hope that that can bring to our lives, right? Because this life is not all that there is, right? This life is training for eternity, right? All of us were made to live forever. We've talked about this time and time again in this series that God's put eternity in our heart. Part of being made in the image of God is that we are eternal Creatures, and we are going to spend eternity with God in heaven or apart from God in hell. And Paul says, for the person that has been made right through faith, not because they earned it, but because the gift of Christ, he says, you have a new destiny. 
and that destiny is yours for eternity. And the deal is, if you know that, if we know that our hope is in the glory of God, then even on our worst days, even no matter you know, what we face, we know that there is more. In our loss, in the grieving that we have for those that have gone on before us, we have this hope, right? I love what D.A. Carson says. D.A. Carson says, I am not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. And... You know, if we could just live with that kind of perspective. You see how that's a turning point, right? Because now my destiny is secure. And then the last thing is we have a new identity. We have a new destiny. And the third thing he says is we have a whole new response to suffering. We have a whole new response to the things that we go through in life. So back to verses uh, 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5 says, uh, not only... uh, not only so do we glory in the hope of future glory with God, but we also glory or we rejoice in our sufferings, huh? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. And so notice, again, that we glory or we rejoice in our uh, sufferings. This is another time when the, the prepositions are, are significant because some people would say we rejoice in our sufferings. That sounds crazy. But notice Paul is not saying we rejoice because of our sufferings or we rejoice when we suffer or for our sufferings. But what he says is we can rejoice in our sufferings, meaning even as we go through these things, even as we endure through them, we can rejoice because we know that God is at work. Right? Because we have a whole new perspective on stuff. Suddenly this world is not only about me and this world is not only about this life. I've got my identity in Christ. I've got my destiny secure. And, and so that's, I, you know, that changes the way I can, can deal with things. Right? And I love what C.S. Lewis famously writes in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciousness, but he shouts in our pain. A lot of us have heard that before, but it's worth hearing again. God shouts in our pain. It is the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so we can rejoice in our suffering because we know God is going to meet us there and God is going to grow us. And I want to be clear here. I don't believe that God causes our suffering. I I, I don't. I don't believe that God is happy when we suffer. But here's what I do believe, that God can use our hurt and God can use our our junk, and God can use our struggles, and he can meet us in our suffering. And just like a a child in pain instinctively calls out to to mom or dad, in our pain, our instinct ought to be to call out to our Heavenly Father. I was thinking about it this last week. I don't know if this will make sense to you, but um, we've had all these really cold mornings, and I'm always the first one up at our house, and I get up, and, and it's been really cold in our house, and I walk by the thermostat, and I see the number that it is, and when the temperature dips just below, when it gets cold enough that it actually dips below that number on the thermostat, what happens? The heater kicks on, right? The, the heat kicks on. And I was thinking a lot of times that's the way suffering works for us. When things dip below that point, it's almost as if that's something that kicks on the warmth and the comfort and the power of God. Now, we don't always turn to that. We don't always choose to accept that, but that is what God always offers to us. And so Paul in Romans uh, 5 there, he presents kind of this progression for growth, 
um, for our suffering. And he says, this is what suffering brings about uh, for the Christian. And he says, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance. It's actually the same concept as patience or long-suffering is kind of the way some Bible translations translate this, which I think is a good one. Um, Now, most of us would say we want to grow in perseverance. We want to grow in patience. We want to be more patient people. But most of us, if we're smart, are not going to pray for patience because, you know, then we're going to have to learn patience, and that only comes through, right, through struggle, through hardship. Uh, But Paul says suffering brings about perseverance. And yet we can do this and we can rejoice in it because we have this security that we have a Heavenly Father who, who's got me. He's got me here on earth. He's got me in the future. And so he's got me through whatever I'm going through. And so my suffering is, is producing something good in me. It produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Produces character. Character or maturity refers to someone who is tested and who have been through some, you know, been through some stuff. And so they've got the, the character from experience. It's kind of like if um, this is March Madness week, and so people all over, I don't know about anybody in this room, are doing their, their basketball brackets, their NCAA brackets, and you go through and choosing which team they want. And um, like the, the big problem, you get sucked into this every time, is you choose the young team that's got all these talent and it's got a high ranking, and you overlook the, the team that's got some experience, the team that's been tested. And especially when it comes tournament time, you know, you're, you're smart to know it's those teams that had been there before, those teams that have got a, a few mature people on there that have been tested. Those are the ones that are going to rise, and those are the ones that always or often end up, you know, there at the end. And that's the same kind of concept that Paul is saying. He says that, that, that perseverance produces that testing. When you've been through a few things, your character begins to rise. And, you know, we don't like to go through it, but God's molding us and shaping us. And maybe you're going through something right now, and God's got something in the future for you because of what you're going through right now. Maybe it's a blessing that you're going to be to someone else because what you are enduring, and God is building your character. And it may not feel like it, but you can trust that he loves you and he's got you. And then character produces hope. And this is not just some wimpy, wishy-washy kind of hope. In fact, think of all that the Apostle Paul who writes this. Think of everything that he's endured in life. If you know a little bit about um, Paul's story, he he shares it in in some of the other letters that he writes, all of the, the hardship and suffering and struggle that he's been through. He writes about how he's been shipwrecked and how he's been beaten and how he's been thrown in jail and he was robbed and he was mistreated and he was slandered by his own people. He says he knows what it means to be hungry, to be naked, to be cold, to be weak. On top of that, he says, I know the pressure of all the the churches as if that's, you know, one of the sufferings that um, he goes through. And my point is, if any of us had endured any of those things, right, if you said, man, I have been shipwrecked for my faith, if you... I was beaten, and I was thrown in prison, and I was, you know, went through all this. We would think, oh my goodness, you have endured so much. You know, you have suffered so much. But Paul has gone through all those things. And he says, you know what? I still have hope. I still have hope because I know God is at work. And Jesus says, he says, you will have trouble in this world. Not you might have trouble. Might, you know, you're going to have a little trouble. He says, you will have trouble. He says, but do not fear, for I'm with you, and I have overcome the world. And so you see how it's this whole new transition. It's a life-changing thing. Since I've been justified, man, my life is different. 
I got a new identity. I got a new a new destiny. I've got a whole new way of approaching suffering and struggle. Let me just close with a, a illustration that I heard, a story that I heard a while ago. It's about um, this farmer who's got a donkey, and this donkey runs off and falls in a hole. And he ends up, he falls in this deep hole. In fact, it's a well. It's an empty well. And so this donkey is way down at the bottom of this well, and the, the farmer does everything he can to try to get him out. He tries to hoist him up. He's too heavy. does everything he can. Can't get him out of this well. And so, as I think about it, it's kind of a sad story. <laughs> so the, the farmer decides, well, there's nothing else to do except just fill the hole in. We're just going to cover the hole up on top of the donkey. I know, it's so sad for that donkey. <laughs> But it's not over because, <laughs> because he gets together and they get their shovels and they start to throw the, the dirt down into the hole. And the donkey's crying, you know, crying out. I can't believe it. You're doing this. And then after just a little bit, the donkey goes quiet. And it seems like there's something happening down there in the hole. And people would throw the, the dirt down on top of the donkey. And the donkey would kind of shake it off his back and shake it off his head. And the dirt would fall down to the ground. And then he'd stamp on it with his feet. And then they'd throw another, another shovel on, and he'd shake it off and stamp it down with his feet, and he'd be a little bit higher. And they'd throw it in and stomp it down, and a little bit higher and a little bit higher, until eventually he's able to just walk out of the hole. And in some ways, that's, that's this concept that God is giving to us. Through whatever you face, you can do it. I am with you. You are new in me. I have got your eternity. So whatever you go through... You go through it with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the practical parts of um, the book of Romans. We're really thankful for uh, the theology and what it means to be made right with you. But we're also really thankful because of what that means, that we can have a, a, a walk with you and a relationship with you. And, and, um, and Lord, I just pray for those that are, are struggling with some of these things, uh, those that are struggling maybe with some suffering and some struggles right now that you would, Lord, we know that you're there for them, and I pray that they'd be open, able to open their heart and receive that even now. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this. I pray that you would be with each person in the struggle that they're in right now that's hearing my voice. Come near to them, Lord, as they open their heart up to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.